0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, Member FDIC.
1: From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. The
0: force will be with you, always.
1: I'm my number one fan. <laughs>
0: Slightly creepy start to the business of film there. I'm Simon Rose in conversation as ever with James Cameron Wilson as we look at the UK box office and take the chance to review some movies along the way. So, James, how is the box office looking?
1: Well, we had quite a strong weekend, if you remember last week, because Ghostbusters Afterlife mm. did so well. And it's down 5.3% from the previous weekend, I'm afraid. I'm just looking up. Ghostbusters actually dropped 51%. So it's not quite as strong. However, I think Sir Wrigley Scott should be very happy with the fact that his film, House of Gucci, is at number one with £2.4 million. And do you know that's already three times what his last film... <laughs> The Last Duel, duel. made, yes. just in a matter of days. Yes,
0: though I know which of the two I'm looking forward to seeing more. Really? You- yeah, i am much rather watch The <laughs> Last Duel, given what I've read about The House of Gucci. Though I get the impression it might be one of those films that's so bad it's good, but uh, maybe, Interesting. I've, Interesting. maybe I've seen the wrong thing. I'm intrigued, particularly at, after reading an article about the variety of accents employed within it.
1: The variety of... Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I do. I do fill me in. Well, I mean, there are lots of different
0: versions of, of Italian, apparently. Um, oh, accents. I thought accents.
1: I thought you said accidents.
0: Oh, no, 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 not at all. No, accents. Oh, the
1: accents. Yes. Well, I thought they were all pretty good, really. Okay. Then I don't know many Italians. Well,
0: that'd be interesting. interesting.
1: But It's interesting you should say that, because I, I think it was a variety was a rave review of House of Gucci. In fact, I'm pretty oh. sure it was variety. And I thought, well, I'm obviously out of sync.
0: Oh, Um, no, I saw the one that... I mean, I can't remember if it used the phrase, but I think car crash was the sort of thing that
1: was floating around in my mind when I read it. Well, Um, it's obviously one expensive movie, and doesn't it want you to know it? mm -hmm. In spite of the big scenes involving family gatherings a la The Godfather, there are mouth-watering locations, fabulous mansions big stars in supporting roles in big performances. But Ridley Scott, as producer, must have spent a small fortune on the copyright to the famous pop songs that punctuate the Mm. action. At times, it reminded me of a a K-Tel Gracious Hits (laughs) compilation (laughs) with Bowie and Blondie and Donna Summer, George Michael, Tony Bennett, and countless others ringing the changes. And it seems that the Italian characters only listen to the most famous and hackneyed of Italian operatic arias. Such familiarity breeds contempt. Although there's one extraordinary artistic decision that left my head spinning. Maurizio Gucci's cousin Paolo is an ageing, balding, fat Italian. So they cast a relatively young, long-haired, skinny American to play him under layers of latex with an accent you could cut with a black and decker jigsaw. The latter is played by Jared Leto, an actor known for his method approach. So I can only imagine what he went through for such a transformation. But I would have thought there were plenty of highly talented Italian performers with receding hairlines and bulging paunches yes. to play the role. It would make an interesting party game to show Dallas Buyers Club, in which Lito won an Oscar for playing an emaciated transgender woman, and House of Gucci as a double bill, and test the unsuspecting viewer on which actor appeared in both films. Anyway, the most impressive thing about House of Gucci is Gucci, the luxury fashion brand. But how it got that way is not what the film is about. It's about the relationship between Maurizio Gucci, the grandson of Guccio Gucci, played by Adam Driver, and the secretary, Patrizia, Lady Gaga, who he meets at a party. But there is so much grandstanding in the film and showing off that it's hard to connect with any of the characters, although there are a slew of missed opportunities. For starters, Patricia doesn't seem to know that her boyfriend, Maurizio, is a member of the Gucci fortune. And although she's portrayed as a somewhat ignorant individual, she doesn't know a Klimt from a Picasso. <laughs> At some point, It would have been interesting had she cottoned on that she was actually dating a real Gucci. There's one scene where on their first date, he suggests they eat in an expensive restaurant, but they end up eating street food. I was waiting for that moment when she realizes, OMG, that she is actually dating a Gucci. But set to George Michael's faith, uh, there's a hot sex scene and she ends up marrying the man. Their courtship is played out like a music video with no earthly reason why they should connect. They have nothing in common. But Maurizio tells his father, Rodolfo, Jeremy Irons in the film, I thought, best performance. I love what she is. But what is she exactly? She's vulgar, low-born and uninformed and obviously not a gold digger. But besides the odd patronising smile like a man preening over his new poodle, Adam Driver as Maurizio does not convey a man in love. I just wish we had a scene where they were sharing the washing up. Anything to show them as a real couple doing real stuff. The most interesting scene for me is when Patricia's maid turns up with her own Gucci handbag. So Patricia goes to the market to find a stall selling the stuff at knockdown prices, and she learns the difference between what is a fake and what is a replica and how it still proves profitable for the Gucci name. The real-life story that the film draws on has all the makings for a shocking expose, but even the big sequence, which is telegraphed at the beginning of the film, is so drawn out that there's no sense of shock or surprise. Mm. There's a lot of background detail. And there's one sequence, I think it's an Alsatian that's drinking from a fountain behind some characters. And I thought, is when we cut to Al Pacino, is the dog still going to be drinking from the fountain? I was so distracted by what was going on in the background, which shows you how involved I was with the film. Pacino, of course, is just devouring the scenery. Lady Gaga is very good. I did think Jeremy Irons was exquisite. I loved the look of the film, but I remember when I started watching The Last, the last Duel and I thought, oh my God, Ridley Scott has lost it. And it dragged out, but it, it gathered, it got better. Unfortunately, House of Gucci does not get better. Mm-hmm. Wrigley Scott has lost his touch, and I adore Ridley. But you can tell that he comes from the world of advertising and commercials because it is such a glorious, glorious eye candy. Mm. So, no, I... I, 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 st- I stick with my
0: preconception, then. I, I will prefer to watch The Last Duel, I think, than uh, The House of Gucci.
1: Yeah, go um, and see Jodie Coma raped three times. Oh, OK, fine. OK. <laughs> <laughs> but well but it, it tells the you from thought. the beginning yes yeah, yeah i mean it's fairly apparent that it's rashomon anyway um house of gucci well ghostbusters afterlife has now got a total of 7.6 million pounds it made 2.2 million pounds last weekend and we have a new film at number three called encanto which made one and a half million quid which is the new disney film it's actually disney's 60th. Can you believe that? 60th feature-length animated film. And it's the first to be set in the jungles of Colombia. I read somewhere that it was the first to be set in Latin America. But if memory serves, Coco was set in Mexico, wasn't it? It was, yes. So this is not the first. It is here that the Madrigal family lives in the sort of magical oasis that only Disney's army of computer artists Mm -hmm. can create in such wondrous detail and color. The magicals themselves are indeed magical in which each member of the matriarch's children and indeed her grandchildren have supernatural powers rather like the Incredibles, except in South America. So Julieta can heal people with her cooking. Julieta's brother, Bruno, can see into the future. And Julieta's daughter, Isabella, can produce flowers wherever she goes. And Isabella's sister is so strong that she can carry six donkeys at once. I'm just not <laughs> quite sure how useful that would be, but OK. Well, in this world, it's really useful. She can also carry houses, but I didn't want to spoil. Anyway, but our heroine is Mirabelle, voiced by Stephanie Beatrice. And she has been born with no superpowers at all. Mirabelle does, however, have shed loads of good nature and optimism and is unlike other Disney heroines in that she doesn't look like a Barbie doll and, like Harry Potter and Harry Palmer, is bespectacled and you don't get many a Disney heroine with specs. All this is set to the glorious uplifting music of Germaine Franco, who is a part of the Colombian Cultural Trust, a project set set up by Disney to promote all things Colombian. Indeed, Encanto is the first Disney cartoon, as they say, set in, well, let's say, South America. And so before the pandemic, they sent a team to Colombia to absorb the culture, architecture, mm. music, food, horticulture and costumes of the country. A field trip that included the film's lyricist, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Miranda suddenly seems to be everywhere. I was about to say, yes, absolutely. Well, it was was only in June that the film version, produced by Miranda himself, of the songwriter's stage hit In The Heights was released. Then in August, Netflix released the musical cartoon Vivo, whose songs were also written by Miranda, who took the title role of the South American Kinkajou. And then just last month, because Miranda delighted us with Tick, Tick, Boom!, Mm which marked his directorial debut, probably my, ooh, favourite film of the year. I, I, I think it probably still is, in which another songwriter, Stephen Sondheim, appears as a supporting character and was played by Bradley Whitford. Mm. May he rest in peace. Sondheim, of course, not Bradley Whitford. And uh, it makes it all the more poignant seeing the film again now mm. that we've lost Stephen Sondheim. So all of which to say the man who conceived the hit musical Hamilton has pr- has been pretty busy of late when he's not playing cockney lamplighters in films like Mary Poppins Returns. <laughs> Unfortunately, when somebody as talented as Lin Manuel Miranda emerges, they come into demand so much and they can spread themselves a little thin. There is a lot that I admired about Encanto, but its lyrics left me cold. They are beautifully orchestrated and sung with verb and gusto and clarity by Stephanie Beatrix, who plays Mirabelle. She was also in in The Heights. But I'm sorry, Miranda is no Sondheim. I'll give you an example. He's here. Don't talk about Bruno. No. What did I talk about Bruno? Not a word about Bruno. I never should have brought up Bruno. Can you ever see Sondheim writing such
0: dark uh, no I actually read a piece about Sondheim's lyrics the other day and how, how clever they were the number of internal rhymes I mean incredibly
1: clever oh, oh uh, but yes uh, so not- Bruno at rhymes with Bruno well I also admire Disney for bringing different cultures to the screen from the Greek myths to Polynesia via Pocahontas. this story of an incredible family that eventually has to turn to Mirabelle for support because kids you know what we're all special in our own ways yes well. Well, it was underwhelming. The visuals are amazing. The comic timing spot on. I smiled a couple of times, but I felt with all that effort and bonhomie, it needed something else, a less cluttered but stronger storyline. And I think part of the problem is it had six people working on the story. I I think that was to its detriment. And as other companies like Pixar and the new London-based locksmith animation enter the game, Disney needs to do better than this i hate to knock it but it's very cheerful
0: (laughs) Uh, james that's perhaps a good moment just for us to pause for breath
1: sharing ideas about money this is share radio
0: this is simon Rose, you're listening to The Business of Film. James Cameron Wilson is filling us in on the UK box office. That We've only got down to number three because we've had two
1: new films. So, James, we're at number four. See, my maths is still as sharp as ever. Oh, I am impressed. At number four, we've got Eternals, which is down two places, 52%, with a total of £13.9 million. No Time to Die has now slipped down to number five, 48%. However, With a total of 95.5 million quid, it has now overtaken Spectre's lifetime gross. So it only has Skyfall now in its height to become the most successful Bond film ever based on gross. Of course, we all know that things change, um, but we will see. Okay. Number six, we've got Dune, which is down four places. It was at number four, down 35%. And we have a special one-off screening event of Anything anything Goes, which I believe, Simon, is a Cole Porter musical. It is. Was that actually in the chart? Yeah, it's at number seven. Oh, well, I'm quite surprised if the screening I attended was
0: not um, very full. So I'd assume, especially as these are you know, one-offs. We talk every year about Andrew Rear getting into the chart with one performance compared to all these films on all the time. So anything goes, yes, Cole Porter musical, much revised. Uh, P.G. Woodhouse was originally involved. Went to see it at the Barbican um, just a couple of months ago, but already the cast had changed. And we have friends who are obsessed with musicals who said that Sutton Foster, who had played the role to begin with, fantastic Broadway star, was much better and good gracious. But it was just brilliant. It was as if you had Paid for the best seat at the Barbican, but of course it wasn't that expensive. It was beautifully directed. Only once or twice and I feel we could have seen a wider shot, perhaps to see what was going on. Just fantastic. Um, sadly, there were only two performances, one on Sunday and one the day before we record this on Wednesday. It would be lovely if it was screened again, but um just fantastic to see the same production, but with slightly different people. Robert Lindsay's still very funny, he was in both casts, so we'd seen him. Um, but um, uh, it was absolutely fantastic. Sadly, though, I can't recommend people see it because it's just not there. But if you like musicals, the production of the Barbican is, is brilliant. I think we, we suffered from the disadvantage that the cast had only had a few days to bed themselves in.
1: May I ask you how much you paid?
0: Uh, well, actually, I paid nothing because my friends treated us. But I think it was just under £20 a ticket. So more expensive, I think, yeah, than it would yeah. have been to see a conventional film, but considerably less than getting even the cheapest seats at the barbican. Well musicals um, are now
1: hundreds in the west end. Well
0: well they? they can be certainly. And and I I you know I came back thinking gosh what a great way to see musicals I must see what else is on.
1: Oh, and the trouble sure. is there well,
0: are relatively few that are that turn up in in the cinema.
1: Hmm. I'm not familiar. I think I did see Anything Goes on the stage, but we're talking decades ago. Well, yeah, I'd remember. seen
0: the production before last with my mum, which must have been about 25 years ago, I think. Harry Taub and Elaine Page and Bernard Cribbins, I think. Um, my mom. Hard to remember. Uh, but it is, a, you know, it's a fantastic show. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a depression era. Musical essentially, it's the equivalent of the Busby Barclay things. It's 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 not particularly realistic. It's just great fun. And of course, some wonderful, wonderful songs from a man who could write music and lyrics, much like Stephen Sondheim, and whose lyrics were often incredibly clever with some lovely internal rhymes. Yeah. Anyway. It
1: was Deloverly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Played by Kevin I, I Klein, wish I'd gone with the same I, name.
0: Yes, I know. And had I not been out last night, which was Wednesday, I would have gone to another screening of it because it was just absolute perf- perfection.
1: Just glorious. Well, I hope we've got time to talk about a film on Netflix. So I'm going to rush Okay, super. the chart. At number eight, we've got King Richard, Richard, which was at number five, down 56%. Number nine, The Boss Baby 2, Family Business. Number 10, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, down 57%, now with a total of £17.8 million pounds sterling. And I'd like to mention, and if you could say in a nutshell what you thought of it, Ron's Gone Wrong is now at 17%. Well, i am sorry it's dropped so much. You-
0: Yes, I, I caught up with it. As you pointed out, British Animation House. It doesn't feel British. It feels like the best of Pixar. Great fun, beautifully done, wonderful story, Absolutely absorbing. I'm afraid I saw it on a screen, so a small screen, but it would be oh. much better in cinema. But if people can catch it, do. I, I echo your recommendation. Oh, Very good. I am Very so Very glad good. to
1: hear that. I mean, particularly as I was so disappointed by Encanto, and I thought, is it me? But then you see something like Ron's gone wrong, and you realise how wonderful animation can be. Okay. Talking of which, back to Netflix, if I may. And there's a big new film out called The Power of the dog it's extraordinary how certain genres dematerialize and then for no apparent reason reappear in their droves Mm. so with West Side Story opening next week with Encanto just in cinemas musicals are back with a vengeance while with The Harder They Fall Cry Macho and now The Power of the Dog westerns also seem to be back but Benedict Cumberbatch in A. Stetson Surely not. My first instinct was to giggle when I saw him, but no sooner had the actor fixed me with his steely stare, I shut up, and began to quiver. He is extraordinary. After a while, I completely forgot it was Benedict Cumberbatch and was totally wrapped up in his performance as Phil Burbank, a cruel and wealthy rancher in Montana in the year nineteen twenty-five. If you can imagine it, his performance reminded me of Daniel Day-Lewis's Daniel Plainview in Mm. There Will Be Blood, a larger-than-life character forged from wide open spaces. I sincerely believe that both Benedict Cumberbatch and the film's director, Jane Campion, will be nominated for uh, for an Oscar next February. Ms. Campion, who directed The Piano, was only the second woman in history to be nominated for an Academy Award and should soon be the only woman in history to be nominated twice for Best Director. And I think she will be. But let's get back to Benedict, whose Phil Burbank is an old school Marlboro man who has long held beliefs of what a man stands for and where a woman's place is. He does astonishingly horrible things, albeit relatively small scale, by the standards of cinema. But because the characters in The Power of the Dog are so nuanced and three dimensional, his acts really hurt. One of the opening scenes is of some flowers being lovingly crafted out of paper to be used as decoration on a dining table in a Montana hotel. They are truly a work of art. The creator of them is one Peter Gordon, played by Cody Smith McPhee who is studying to go to college to read up on medicine. He is also perilously thin and fine-boned, not the sort of man you would find leading a cattle drive like Phil. Hmm. So when Burbank and his fellow cowhands drop in at the hotel and Burbank uses one of Peter's flowers to light his cigarette, it is a jarring moment. Burbank is also ruthlessly impolite to Peter's mother, the widow Rose, played by Kirsten Dunst, But all these characters appear on the screen as living, breathing human beings and each in his or her turn changes throughout the course of the film, as we all do in moments dictated by extreme drama. Not one character is set in concrete. Nonetheless, Cumberbatch maintains a frightening intensity and swagger and does amazing things with his eyes, restlessly seeking out each corner for an attack or maybe for an escape. I found, as a piece of work, The Power of the Dog is near faultless. Maybe I was a little too aware of the score by Johnny Greenwood, who also composed The Will Be Blood, but it is pretty part and parcel of this wild outpost setting one's nerves on edge, and the cinematography. Oh, I should mention, this is essentially a four-hander. In spite of a brief cameo from Keith Carradine and the very small part of A Maid, Played by Thomas and Mackenzie. I should also mention Jesse Clemens, who plays George Burbank, or Fatso, as Phil calls him. He is the complete opposite of his older brother and is moved by how upset Rose is by the harsh words of his of, of Phil. But that's all you need to know. It is as close to a masterpiece as you are likely to see. Wow, absolutely
0: fascinating. James, thank you very much indeed. Um, that is called The Power of the
1: Dog. Yeah, um, and it opened on Netflix this week on Wednesday. Wonderful. Is, going is, is it going into cinemas as well? I think it's been in cinemas for one week. Oh, right. So okay. they can qualify. Kirsten Dunst yeah. is the favourite to win Best Supporting Actress, according to Variety, this morning. Oh, OK. Um, right. Benedict Cumberbatch probably be, will be nipped by Will Smith. To the post.
0: James, thank you very much indeed. There will be more of The Business of Film from James Cameron Wilson at the same time next week.
1: All my life, I've been waiting for someone. And when I find her, she's... She's a fish. You're tearing me apart! Why so serious,